Nginx is a web server that can be used to manage the APIs across an organization. Managing these APIs involves deciding on the routing and load balancing across the servers which host those APIs. If the traffic of a website suddenly spikes, the website needs to spin up new replica servers and update the API gateway to route traffic to those new replicas. Some servers should not be accessible to outside traffic, and policy management is used to configure the security policies of different APIs. As a company grows, the number of APIs also grows, increasing the complexity of managing routing logic and policies. Kevin Jones is a product manager with Nginx, and he joins the show to discuss how API management has changed with the growth of cloud and mobile, and how Nginx has evolved over that period of time. Full disclosure, Nginx is a sponsor of Software Engineering Daily. Kevin Jones, welcome to the show. Hey, how's it going? Going well. You work at Nginx, and I'd like to start off by getting a brief history of Nginx and the problems that it has historically solved. Yeah, sure. So, you know, originally Nginx was actually created as a solution to the C10K problem. I'm not sure if you're familiar with it, but it was essentially an issue where one particular server couldn't handle more than 10,000 concurrent connections. And so the idea was Igor Sisoev, who was the original creator of Nginx, actually created Nginx as a reverse proxy. So just to sit in front of Apache and handle those connections. And so because Nginx was originally created as an event-driven, asynchronous, non-blocking architecture, this allowed all the connections to be offloaded on a per CPU or per processor-based method. So essentially, Nginx has workers that can be used to handle those connections and offload those connections. So if you have, let's say, an eight CPU server, you can have eight workers that are all individually able to handle that concurrency and those connections. And so, again, it was just initially as a problem to offload that connection handling. And then also it kind of blew up into a uh, application server to be able to serve not only static content, but also to be able to proxy to dynamic content like PHP or other protocols like USG or SCGI. Nginx first came out 16 years ago. How has web infrastructure changed since then? Yeah, I think you know primarily a lot of the web is still obviously HTTP. There has been adoptions of new protocols and new methods of communicating over HTTP, such as you know HTTP2, which essentially is a new protocol. And there's been actually a mass adoption of SSL as well, so TLS or SSL connections, um, trying to essentially secure the internet as much as possible. And then there also has been additional new protocols, such as you know gRPC or other complex protocols uh, that are maybe specific to uh, particular use cases, such as like MQTT. And so uh, what we're seeing is a rise in obviously services and the amounts of services and also an increase in various uh, protocols that are being used to communicate over the internet. And on the usage side, there are more users engaging with applications since 16 years ago. Some of this engagement is driven by mobile. And how does the increase in mobile usage drive changes to backend architecture? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, with the drive 
of you know increased devices, iPads and iPhones and Androids and you know, the increase in applications, and then that combined with the adoption of you know newer type of architectures for creating applications such as microservices or service service oriented architectures. What essentially is uh, resulting is more devices, more connections, and more requests being processed throughout the internet. Right. So if a user the more apps that they install on the phone, on their phone, uh, and the more real-time communication that's being done with that device is, in fact, causing the increase in connections and requests on the internet, right? And so that's why we've seen a drastic amount of APIs and um, other uh, requests being made uh, on the internet today. Nginx was also started before the cloud. Did the usage of Nginx changed significantly after it started to be deployed onto cloud infrastructure? I think it's been primarily the same. I think one of the nice things about Nginx is Nginx was always designed to work on Linux, and it's the primary operating system of choice. And given that you know someone using Nginx you know, for the duration of the, their time on premise, whether it be a Linux server sitting in a closet or a, a data center, uh, being able to move that to the cloud really doesn't affect the way that Nginx is deployed because you obviously can deploy Linux on any cloud environment, right? So whether it's a public or private cloud, that's one of the sweet things about Nginx is it can be really used anywhere on any infrastructure. There's this variety of applications that Nginx is used for. So caching, load balancing, API gateway. Are you using a different kind of Nginx server that's completely dedicated to solving just one of these problems, d- depending on what problem you're trying to solve? Or is Nginx just the same, whether you're trying to solve caching or load balancing, for example? Yeah, the configuration of Nginx actually can be independent or it can be combined. Because Nginx is a reverse proxy, a lot of users deploy Nginx in a situation where it's sitting in the DMZ, um, protecting the infrastructure behind it. And so in that sense, it can serve multiple functions, right? might serve the functionality to do authentication and authorization, and then also might serve to protect against uh, web application threats. So like used as a web application firewall or as something to protect against like DDoS. So yeah, you can consolidate all this, the features and functionality into one particular layer of Nginx, or if you decide to, in certain scenarios, it makes sense to, to split those up, right? Um, an example would be perhaps you wanted to deploy a security layer, right, at the DMZ that's doing the authentication, authorization, you know, DDoS protection, all the uh, high-level stuff from a networking perspective. But then you need a caching layer behind that that might be distributed. That would be a situation where you'd want to have those separate so that you could utilize different architectures to distribute the cache. What kind of configuration is required to set up Nginx for these different applications? Like, can, Could you maybe just go into a little more detail about like if I'm setting up a load balancer versus setting up an API gateway, how is my configuration going to differ on Nginx? Yeah, absolutely. So, 
you know, Nginx is purely driven by what, what we call directives. So directives are essentially configurations. And so there's about a thousand different directives that are used with Nginx. And each directive has an additional functionality or a different area of the configuration that it can be used. And so the way Nginx is configured is if you enable a directive or set a directive, it might open up other functionality within that, right? So in other words, like let's say you want to do load balancing with Nginx, you would have to configure an upstream directive or an upstream context. And that would allow you to do load balancing, which would open up the ability for you to do things like you know, session persistence or cookie persistence or whatever type of load balancing algorithm you're, you're using. So Nginx is just as powerful as the configuration that you put into it. And it is very interesting because the configuration files are, they look similar to JSON type of uh, configurations. And this allows you to nest your configurations down into the different various layers so that you can have a different behavior based on the different configuration that you have. In other words, you might have a separate configuration for a certain virtual server than you would for another virtual server because they're in different nested locations. And so that gives a lot of power for you with Nginx to do what we call multi-tenant configurations, where you have multiple applications running on a single instance of Nginx. I'd like to get into a conversation of the application of Nginx to API management. And I'd like to start by just talking about APIs, generally speaking. So as a company grows, it needs to stand up more APIs. Why is that? Well, I think it goes back again to what I was talking about earlier, where you have a certain uh, type of adoption of the way you're building applications in your company or in the architecture. And so if you're doing something, you know, somewhat what we call monolithic, you know, you're usually deploying an application as a whole. So the, the application is being deployed on a single instance or a single server. And so previously, you know, older, more monolithic type architectures didn't have a large amount of servers behind them. And as you switch to a service-oriented architecture or a microservices-oriented architecture or microservice architecture, you start to break up those monolithic applications or services into smaller services. And so what happens is as you break apart those monolithic apps into smaller applications, those applications need to be able to talk to each other. And they need to be able to do things depending on the requirements for the business logic. They need to do things either more often or they need to do things in a different way. So in other words, maybe they need to be secure between those services because they're distributed across clouds or different availability zones. So that might require that you uh, add additional complexity like TLS. And it also might require that you add additional authentication and authorization of your application. So in other words, what applications can talk to other applications? And when they do talk to them, what access do they have? In other words, what can they do? Can they write? Can they only read? You know, what access do they have from a, a, what we call auth, auth Z versus auth N? And so this is where you get more complex communication and the need for an API gateway or an API management and API gateway plane to be configured. And what kinds of configuration goes into defining that API gateway, that API plane? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so essentially there's two terms that are commonly thrown around today. We, we 
we sometimes hear the, the term API management, and we also hear the term API gateway. Sometimes they're used uh, synonymously, so they're typically the same referenced name, but in fact, they're actually two different things. An API manager is essentially the control plane. So it's the something that's actually pushing the configurations to the API gateway. And the API gateway is where the actual proxying and something like Nginx Plus would be, or Nginx Open Source would be an API gateway. And something like a control plane, so like something where we have Nginx Controller, which is our controller uh, plane, or we have something like maybe customer wants to use Ansible or Shaft or Puppet, that might be their control plane. And the idea is that you're pushing those configurations to the yeah, Nginx instance. And so some instances you might not have the control plane, everything might be done manually again with some kind of uh, tooling. But the idea is that you have one API management plane that's handling the policy and the configuration for how those applications should be managed and accessed but then the actual routing and the load balancing and the authentication and the authorization is usually handled at the API gateway layer, uh, if that makes sense. It does. What's the difference between an API gateway and a load balancer? So there, an API gateway is a function of a proxy, essentially. So you would consider Nginx as is a reverse proxy. And a lot of times... What that just means is that it's opening connections on one side and also opening connections on the other side. And so a gateway, API gateway is just another term to define a reverse proxy with a specific set of functions. So an API gateway is really a reverse proxy or it can also do load balancing. So that's why you may see that some people deploy an API gateway not doing load balancing, they'll just reverse proxy to maybe a additional load balancing layer that they already have set up. But the idea is the function of the API gateway is to handle authentication, authorization, you know, denial of service protection, maybe web application security or, or web application firewall. And it's really just protecting the APIs. But some in some cases, again, the API gateway might also do additional functionality like load balancing or some other complementary reverse proxy configuration. Once I have an API gateway, or I guess the, the load balancing layer, and my API gateway set up, what is involved in standing up a new API? Yeah, so again, if you're sitting your API, you know, if you're sitting an API gateway in front of your APIs, there's usually a reason why you're doing that, right? You're trying to protect either areas of the API, so in other words, let's say you have a certain API that gets created on the back end from a developer um, and it gets stood up on you know, a set of application servers. In order to enable that, you know, to be able to be accessed through the API gateway, you have to specify, well, what domain name is it going to be available on? What URI are users going to be able to access it? In, a, in other words, what routes are going to be available to the user uh, or the client? Once the client does come through, you know what kind of access again are they going to have? Are they going to are they going to be required to pass an API key or a JSON web token or what kind of authentication rules are going to be in place? So, this is all handled through the API gateway through configuration. So again, so you're usually defining the actual host name that the application will be available on, 
the URL or the, the URI, we would call it, which is the, you know, slash whatever. And this is the route of, of which a client can actually come through to the application. And then you're also setting all the additional things that are there to protect the application. So authentication, authorization, denial of service. Maybe you want to also check for the things like what methods can be used, like HTTP methods. Maybe you want to look for certain URL arguments that are being passed. And so this is all done through configuration. And so that's where an API management plane really comes into play uh, to, be able to help build your configuration because the API management can handle that configuration for you based on whatever configuration that you, you want to allow. Could you explain what policy management means as it pertains to APIs? Yeah, so typically in an environment where you're building APIs and you want to publicly expose them, you want to set certain policies that are enforced. So a policy would be, let's say that you have a business logic API that, that applies to the general public, right? Someone wants to come in and they want to get access from that API, right? You would probably give them some kind of method to authenticate against that. So you might give them an API token or you might give them a JSON web, I'm sorry, API key or a JSON web token. And you would set the configuration, which is the policy essentially, on when that user comes through with that token, what can they access and when can they access it and how often can they access it. And this is where an API gateway really becomes powerful because you can specify whether a client or a, a user with a token or a key can have read-only access or write access. You can also specify what methods they can use to access that API. You can also uh, specify how often they can access the API. So maybe you won't, maybe they're a basic user and you only want to allow them to access the API, say, 100 times a minute. That's where you can define the policy of that user, what pool is that user in, and what kind of access does he have based on his policy. And so this is where policy is a critical part of the API gateway, because it really allows you to have fine-grained control of the clients or the users that are trying to access that API. And as the application grows, there's going to be a ton of policies that I'm going to be managing. I mean, I might have policies across all of my different APIs. What's required to manage all those policies across the different APIs at scale? Yeah, that's a good question. You know, some organizations have built-in ways to do that. It usually involves that the API gateway has some kind of communication with an IDP, so some kind of identity provider. Typically, Nginx, you, you can set up the configuration to have and store specific keys, or you can have it store specific API keys or, or JSON web tokens or what we call JSON web keys. And you can essentially allow that configuration based on that, that configuration. So if you're using open source, you can do that with a with just a flat configuration file that's owned by root. So it's rather secure. Or if you're using our commercial version like Nginx Plus, we have a, a key values database that can use to be able to store those configurations. But the most effective way is for you to talk to an IDP that already has that hierarchy or that authentication and authorization spec already in place, right? And so what API Gateway can do is it can talk to that IDP to get access to the key file that is specific for those uh, particular clients. And then 
it can store that key file locally so that it doesn't have to necessarily go to the IDP. It can look up whether that particular request has come through with a proper, basically, signature. And it can validate whether that client is accessible to certain configurations. So, yeah, it can get kind of complex. And I guess the most effective way is, again, to use an IDP to manage what access can be had. And then for the actual authentication, so I'm sorry, sorry for the authorization, this is where an API management plane really comes into play because you can build those configurations and store them in the control plane and push them to the data plane using API management. That makes sense? It, yeah, it definitely makes sense. Now, I'd like to know how an API gateway fits into a typical software architecture. So you know, a typical large software company has several large services. They might have some microservices. And I want to know how the API gateway communicates with the other components of the architecture. Yeah, it always depends on, on the infrastructure. Every company, I would say, is, is rather different. We have some customers that their only interest for an API gateway is to protect their edge services, so to protect their, protect their applications that are say, sitting at the edge. And so this would be consumers where consumers are, are using APIs to get information, and primarily the business is all driven based on consumer API usage. So an example would be some company like maybe Expedia, right? Expedia, a large chunk of their revenue is actually driven from consumer-based API access. So basically 90% of their APIs are publicly exposed. But there's other companies that need, because their organization has grown so much and they're so distributed, that they want to build APIs internally, right? And so this is where a more of a clustered API gateway approach makes the most sense. And the idea is that you still have an API gateway for your edge services, but you might have separate individual API gateways that can be deployed on a role-based access type of way where basically each team can have its own API gateway that controls the policy and the access to those APIs. And so this way you can get a little bit more distributed and kind of break up the need to have all that configuration in one place. And this will allow you to build an API gateway plane that is somewhat distributed and again, individually owned. So if you have 10 different development teams or 10 DevOps teams that are managing their various applications or business logic applications, they can all have their individual API gateway that can have its configurations. And does the API gateway keep all of the API routes in memory, or does it use a database? How is the API gateway storing all the information about the different routes? Well, in Nginx's case, everything is stored in configuration files, but essentially that configuration file is loaded into memory. And so... Just to kind of rewind a little bit, you know, Nginx, the way it primarily works is it's a flat flat file configuration. But there is, if you're using Nginx Plus, there is a certain level of configuration that you can do in memory uh, using an API. So it all depends on the configuration and the user. If they're using open source, they're most likely using, again, just a flat config file. And they're using the binary to load that configuration into memory. So you would do something like an Nginx reload and that would load in the new configuration. And so you essentially make a change to the config file, load it into memory, and then you instantly get that new configuration. And the nice thing about Nginx is it does that in memory. So, I'm sorry, not in memory, but it does that gracefully. So if you are pushing changes in real time, 
Nginx will gracefully shut down the old connections in the old configuration so that it doesn't affect any clients that are currently connected and processing the request. If I want to update the route of an API in my API gateway, what is the process for doing that? Yeah, so if you weren't using a control plane, you know, and you were just using an, an Nginx instance on the server, you'd essentially load up the config file or push the config file with the new change, make the change, save it, and then you would just issue a Nginx-S reload, which is just saying, hey, Nginx um, needs to reload that configuration, and it will load that into, config, into configuration. If you're using something like Ansible Chef or Puppet, that eases that you know, because you don't have to do it manually, right? You can push that out using some kind of configuration management tool, right? And then issue that command remotely. If you're using something like Nginx Controller, which is our, you know, the commercial essentially control plane for Nginx, that's all handled using a HTTP-based agent. So an agent is running locally to Nginx. It's called the controller agent. And the controller is pushing that over HTTPS uh, using mutual TLS. So you, a user might go into the GUI and make a change and then click a button to deploy that change and it would push it over that HTTPS connection. Or maybe they are a little bit more of an advanced shop and they want to use an API to do that. They would access controller's API to make that change. And so essentially, if they had 10 API gateways sitting behind Nginx controller, they can just issue one API call to the Nginx controller, and it will push that configuration to, to all 10 of those instances. And so it's a real easy way to automate and orchestrate at scale. Whereas something like if you're using something like Chef or Puppet or Ansible, you're most likely going to need to make that change on all the instances individually. And so this is where something like a control plane really, really helps with using the management of the configuration. What role does an API gateway play in logging? Yeah, I mean, obviously logging is important, right? So it's something that you need to know what is going on at that particular gateway layer or the proxy layer in most cases. And the idea is that you're trying to capture whatever information is important to you. One of the nice things about Nginx is anytime a request is made through Nginx, all the available information is available in the form of a variable. And um, there's a pretty large number of availables available, and you can essentially log those individually. So if you choose that you want to log, let's say the remote IP address, you can do so. Or if you want to uh, log all the headers, HTTP headers, you can do so. So there's a lot of control in what you want to log and what access uh, is being made through the proxy. You can log that information and make it available. And at that point, yeah, you can just forward that log to something like Splunk or some other log management tool. What about distributed tracing? Oh yeah, distributed tracing is also a very well. It's, I would say it's a it's a newer method to be able to basically trace the request that's being passed through something like a, a proxy or API gateway. And so yeah, Nginx is very useful for that because we do have an open tracing module that can be used. And so what it allows you to do is really capture somewhat of a. a, a GUID or uh, an identifier, and then pass that down into the application so that you can figure out what kind of tracing is being passed, or I should say, what kind of latency or requests are being passed down through that request. And it gives you a lot more insight. So I would say logging is important. Tracing is even more important, especially if you're doing 
microservices and you're having lots of connections and lots of distributed connections. And if you, especially if you're using something like a service mesh, I would say that open tracing is, is one of the most important things that you can design into your infrastructure when you're doing something with, with those services. Service discovery is how services find each other. Does an API gateway have a role in service discovery? Yeah, absolutely. Especially if you're using Nginx or your API gateway, in, in this case for load balancing, because the API gateway really needs to know what services are available behind it and where to route those requests, obviously. So the the old school way is you would make sure that in your configuration you had all of your servers and the IPs and ports that relate to those servers and you would have to hard code those in the configuration but with obviously with containers and more immutable infrastructure today you know the services are constantly scaling up and down and being somewhat destroyed and created and so the idea is that if the proxy layer or the API gateway is not able to communicate with the services you're going to have clients that just are basically going to time out or have issues accessing those services. So yeah, it's very important that the API gateway has some level of service discovery integration. A lot of times that can be done through the control plane, but if you want to do it in real time, some of the best methods are actually re- resolve around DNS. And so in other words, having the API gateway being able to look at a DNS entry point to be able to figure out where that route needs to go and what services are available behind that DNS entry point. And so that's one of the things Nginx is strong strong about is it can actually talk to a service discovery tool over DNS and, and route that based on the DNS resolve. One architectural pattern is a two-tier gateway. Explain what a two-tier gateway is. Yeah, I briefly talked about it earlier, but the idea is with a two-tier gateway, the main components are separated in the sense that the edge gateway, which is the primary gateway that comes in through the DMZ, is usually doing high-level security-related functions. So it might be protecting against access control. So it might have an, uh, an access control list. It might have DDoS protection. It might have external authentication and authorization. In other words, anyone trying to come through that initial edge gateway needs to be able to authenticate and authorize on what they can and can access. And then it might have other functionality, but primarily that's the main components is around security, right? And then internally, there might be a second tier that is more of a, what we call a router gateway or a router mesh. And the idea is that you have a separate concern there where you're more worried about services internally that need to talk to each other. And so you might not have as much complicated configuration uh, from a security perspective in there. Uh, Services might be able to talk a little bit more freely and you can specify whether particular clients internally can access other APIs at a different area. So that way that the if let's say you have microservices sitting behind that internal router gateway or router mesh uh, layer, they don't have to go all the way back out through to the internet and come in through the DMZ again. They can just handle all their connections internally. And this allows 
security and NetOps or other teams to manage the infrastructure at the edge, and it allows DevOps or operations or maybe SREs to manage the configuration inside the network. And so it kind of helps with role-based access, and it also helps with what I call multiple cooks in the kitchen, right, where everyone's trying to make changes to a single layer. It can get a little bit more complicated to manage, and this gives each team the ability to really manage their configuration separately. And then you can even go a step further and you can even have distributed more than one router gateway or router mesh internally. Like you could have a, a specific router mesh or router gateway for each individual team. And so this even gets more distributed where each team can be responsible for their own internal gateway. If two gateways can have value, are there situations where even more gateways have value? Like what is the the spectrum of trade-offs between adding more gateways versus keeping it uh, more consolidated? Yeah, I think the, the more you add, the more complicated the infrastructure gets and the more of a need for a solid, robust control plane is important. When you first initially you know, set up, if you were to set up a single edge gateway, everything can be in one single configuration. When you start adding two, then you realize, okay, well, now I need to manage two different configurations. When you start splitting that into even more teams, let's say you have 10 teams, then all of a sudden you're managing 12 different or 11 different configurations. And if you distribute that even more, it gets even more and more complicated on keeping track of who can talk to what and you know what kind of access control and authentication can be used at each layer. And you also have to keep track of from a security perspective as well, because you need to make sure that all of those instances are keeping up to date with patching, uh, right, of Nginx or the uh, underlying OpenSSL that's being used. And so it gets a little bit harder to monitor as well and maintain those configurations. And so this is where, you know, as you start to even get more and more proxy configurations, you start building the need for something like a service mesh. And this is where your control plane really pays a lot of value because it's going to help you with configuration. It's going to help you with monitoring. It's going to help you with management and give you that visibility into the entire, uh, basically, infrastructure. How does the service mesh pattern compare to patterns involving API gateways? Yeah, so, I mean, really the idea of a service mesh is that you are trying to make almost micro gateways or somewhat what we call sidecar gateways, where you're essentially deploying a proxy layer all the way up into where the service is running. So let's say you have an application running in a Docker container. You might have a proxy that sits right next to the service inside that container. And the service inside the container is not publicly exposed. It's just listening on it on its own internal network. And the proxy layer that's sitting next to it as a sidecar gateway or or what, how Nginx would be used as a service mesh is handling all the connections that come in. Uh, the nice thing about that is you can really have a fine-grained configuration all the way up into the container. In other words, let's say you're trying to do SSL everywhere, even all the way into the container, you can have Nginx manage the SSL and TLS configuration. But again, it, it gets more complicated. So I'm not sure if that answers your question, but you know, it, service mesh is probably not for all organizations, there's some, some kind of strict requirements that you have to look at uh, to whether you should uh, adopt a service mesh. How has Kubernetes changed how API gateways are used? Well, Kubernetes has definitely made it easier for organizations to adopt 
a microservices type architecture. So if we look at Kubernetes as a whole, its main objective is to help with the orchestration and the, um, I would say, the uh, overall uh, configuration of your services, the service discovery, it has a built-in service discovery, it has basic load balancing, so it has layer four load balancing configuration built in. But what Kubernetes does allow and what we're Nginx and any other API gateway really plays is that you can bring your own load balancing configuration to Kubernetes. And that's in the form of what, what they call uh, an ingress controller. And so the the nice thing about that is if you use something like Nginx as an API gateway, essentially you're deploying Nginx as a ingress controller configured as an API gateway, and it's able to take advantage of all of the features and functionality that Kubernetes offers. So Kubernetes has its own built-in service discovery, so we can talk directly to that service discovery to do service discovery and, and basically be more dynamic. And because we can also interact with the Kubernetes API, we can do things in a very graceful manner. In other words, we can orchestrate the configurations and the load balancing and the routes and all that stuff. And so it really makes for actually a really good experience, especially for a uh, person that doesn't necessarily know Nginx configuration super well. If they know Kubernetes and they understand the Kubernetes YAML configuration, they can build a Nginx gateway as an ingress controller rather easily just by creating a YAML configuration with all the detailed information that they want to build Nginx as. And what the ingress controller will do is it'll handle all of the internal creation of the Nginx configuration, and it will handle all of the service discovery, and it will handle the health checking and everything that the Kubernetes provides. It will work together with the Nginx ingress controller to do that functionality, if that makes sense. Yeah, it does. What kind of performance tuning might be required at the API gateway level? Yeah, I guess it depends. If you're looking at deploying, you know, Nginx on bare metal or virtual machines, there's a good amount of tuning and configuration that you can do because, you know, you have to think about things like file descriptors, you know, you have to think about things like available connections. From a, and it's not only from an Nginx perspective, but also from a Linux perspective. So there's a certain level of tuning, yeah, that you need to do if you're deploying Nginx on, on a bare metal or on virtual machines. If you're looking at deploying Nginx on containers, you know, that gets a little bit less of a requirement because the idea around containers is you're just deploying larger amounts of uh, virtual, basically, operating systems. And so Nginx is being more distributed. And so there's less of a need to tune in a container environment, I would say, than something like virtual machines or bare metal. But if you are, yeah, if you are deploying on virtual machines or bare metal, it's definitely recommended to look at things like file descriptors, you know, connections, SSL, what kind of um, optimizations you can do around SSL. There's a lot you can do to help tune the infrastructure and, and basically maximize the efficiency of your API gateway layer. So at a really large software company, you're going to get to a place where you have lots and lots of APIs. You're going to have lots and lots of routes to manage. What kinds of problems do these enterprises get around API gateway management as the volume of things to manage behind an API becomes large? 
Yeah, I would say the number one thing is security becomes a very crucial component. Being able to audit the access that is available for those APIs, that's the one thing that that companies are always worried about is data and publicly exposing that data and you know protecting the data behind those APIs. Second would be, again, dealing with the service discovery. I would say a, a good number of customers that we work with don't necessarily have a good grasp on what instances are actually running in their environments. And I think where something like a API gateway or essentially something like Nginx can help is to be able to deal with more dynamic nature environments and be able to keep track of that information, right? And so again, I think service discovery is definitely a crucial part and a, a difficult thing for some companies to deal with. And I think it just goes back to that Usually, most organizations have a large number of development teams, and each development team has a different way that they're building applications. And so a lot of times, there's no standard on um, how those services are kept track of. And so again, having some kind of standard way to do service discovery in your organization is, is key. And then I think lastly, I would say being able to be agile is getting even more and more difficult. The idea is that companies are trying to build applications faster so that they can come to market with features and functionality quicker, which in turn gives a better customer service experience. And so if you're wanting to do something like that, you need to be able to deploy quickly. And so I think the building a robust CI/CD pipeline for your applications, basically a continuous integration and continuous delivery of your applications is very critical to you being agile in those environments. So I think that's definitely a struggle in some ways for customers. What about routing between multiple clouds? Does an API gateway typically sit in front of multiple clouds or do you have like an API gateway in each cloud if you're multi-cloud and you're a gigantic enterprise? Yeah, I think if you're multi-cloud, you're more likely going to have a somewhat of a distributed API gateway for each cloud. And so you might have something like you know, uh, you might use a cloud load balancer initially at the edge, right? So you might use something like something like an NLB or maybe a, a Google cloud load balancer just to accept the initial connection. And then immediately sitting behind that, you probably have some level of protection from a high level perspective. So DDoS, you know, maybe web application firewall, something at the edge, right? And then usually either at that layer, you also have additional functionality for Nginx or something like that as an API gateway, or you proxying to another layer that's handling API gateway functionality. And this way you can distribute. So if, if an application that's in AWS needs to talk to an application that for some reason is only available in GCP, it can go out through the internet, come back in and be protected, essentially have a secure connection from each cloud to that application. The CDN infrastructure is becoming more richly featured. Does that affect... API gateway infrastructure at all? If I'm moving more and more functionality to the CDN, to the edge layer? Well, there's a lot of power there to be able to offload requests and traffic to the CDN as much as possible, especially if you're dealing with uh, requests that are very static, right? You know, there's a huge benefit to trying to bring that that data as close to the client as possible, right? Because you're not only you're saving on the client's requirement around um, latency, 
because they're able to hit that that data locally. But you're also saving on network infrastructure costs. So the additional latency that or the additional bandwidth that needs to come in through the the cloud provider or through your data center. And you're also dealing, you're saving on uh, compute, right? So you're not having to do a TLS connection. You know, you're not having to run CPU cycles on that machine. And that frees it to frees it up to do other things. So yes, absolutely. Having a CDN and a, a robust CDN at that layer is, is very effective. And I think, you know, that's why companies like you know, Netflix, who has a very highly distributed CDN, you know, they try to bring that data as close to the client as possible, right? Because there's a lot of value there. What are the outstanding problems in API management today? What do you think needs to be solved? Or what are improvements that could be made to the API management layer? Yeah, it's a good question. You know, I think right now, with a lot of the API gateway tooling that's out there, is it's somewhat monolithic in nature as you start to add a lot of features and functionality into an API gateway slash API management plane, it starts to become very, I would say, bloated and hard to deploy and distribute, especially if you want to distribute it you know, quickly or inside of a container or something like that. And so I think the best thing we can do is try to adopt the same methodology that our applications are trying to adopt, so microservices, and being able to have distributed functions of the API gateway and the API management plane. So in other words, you know, having the ability to keep the functionality at a very basic or basic uh, a minimum, but solving all the problems that the business needs. And so th- that is one of the things that we tried to do with, with Nginx Controller and Nginx Plus is we wanted to build a, a solution that basically separates the control plane and the data plane. And we've done that. And now we're just trying to solve and make it easier for developers to be able to publish their applications. And so I think there's a lot of value in keeping that same you know, methodology of making the applications and the functions of the API gateway management small, but also putting in a lot of functionality that makes it easier for the developers to, to publish those APIs. All right. Well, wrapping up, it's it's been great getting your perspective on API management and Nginx. But I'd just like to know, since we're in this crazy time, how has your work changed as a result of the virus, both you know, at a level of what you're doing for the company and just how your day-to-day life has changed? Yeah, that's a good question. You know, for me, not much has changed other than my travel, obviously, you know, with the travel restrictions. You know, I do a lot of training events for our, our resellers, and I also do a lot of training events for our sales staff and also do a lot of customer visits and obviously a lot of that's halted so my my travel's definitely uh, gotten a lot lighter but i think we're just using this time right now to kind of focus on the product that we're building to basically reevaluate the functions and start building roadmaps that are going to help solve problems for customers and so we're pushing all of our energy into being able to build features and functionality right now and also we're also looking at improving our training program. And so I think there's a lot of that stuff that we can kind of reel back internally and start kind of helping provide some solutions and, and you know, it's just some future plans that will help the users of Nginx as a whole. Kevin Jones, thanks for coming on the show. Yeah, no problem. It was great to meet you. And uh, thanks for having me. 